welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. So, once again, glad to be back with you and to continue our challenging, encouraging, hopefully, conversation in this kaleidoscope of images uh, called uh, Revelation. It's important, again, want to underline it, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the unfolding of who he is. We ended last week with this vision of the throne that John says has already been accomplished. God has already seated, if you will, Jesus on the throne. The kingdom of the earth is in his hands. So we are living in time in a kind of a Uh, of an unfolding of what has already been accomplished in the heavenlies. And there's a lot of time that John's churches to whom he is writing are going to have to go through. And here we are 2,000 or so years later, uh, and we are going through them, yeah? Uh, But but it is important to remember that the end of the, the game has already been established. The final score has already been posted. Uh, And as we then circle back around, remember again, uh, John is not giving us chronological sequences. He's giving us these unfolding, fading images uh, that are, are, are fantastic in their orientation, colors and animals and sounds. And you feel just John stretching his vocabulary and literary capacity under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to draw from the Old Testament, to draw from Roman culture, to draw from Greek mythology, and and to put it together in a way that his churches, the seven to whom he is writing, and us here at the end of time uh, are encouraged and challenged and, and kind of refocused as we, as we are, are, are still in the game. So last week we had this um, uh, idea, uh, celebration, as I mentioned, ending with the, the, the victory of Christ, with the testimony of the church resulting out of martyrdom in, 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 in uh, a significant number of folks uh, coming to glorify God, uh, as, as the final outcome of the witness of the church through the example of the suffering of the Lamb. The church cannot ever forget that this is the strategy that we are invited into. Uh, and it is going to be tempting because now we're going to kind of shift gears and come at v- pretty much the same period of time, if you will, time, uh, 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 that we have already covered, but now look at it from a slightly different angle. What's happening in time with this victory having been established? What's going on now, uh, and how does this impact and affect the church? So we're going to be in Revelation, beginning at verse uh, 1 of chapter 12, and we're going to go through these two chapters in which we're going to consider how um, the church is under attack and how the church can be, be, be co-opted by the powers that be as we move into, into the 13th chapter. So this is a, a rough ride. This is a challenging season. Please, let's pray together for courage to stay all the way in the, in the, in the cart until the end of the ride here uh, because it's probably going to get a bit, bit bumpy. 
uh, as we go through here. And if you have it in your heart in a moment to pray, I would love that even in the hearing of this uh, because this is a, this is a, a heavy text for us uh, and has been subject to a lot of uh, interpretation. And uh, I'm not saying that my take on this is 100%. I don't know that anybody could say that. I certainly don't want to say that. Uh, but it is suggestive, and I'm going to invite you to search the Scripture and bring it before, before the Lord. So we begin at verse 1 of uh, chapter 12. A, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. She cried out in pain, about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in the heavens, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. It, 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 its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. He was not strong enough. They lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now, have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and by the fact that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. So when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings as of a great eagle so that she might fly to a place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman, sweep her away with the torrent. Then the Drag earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. 
It had ten horns and seven heads, and with ten crowns on its horns, and each head had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and the mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast, and asked, who is like the beast who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opens its mouth to blaspheme God, to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, nation. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written down in the Lamb's book of life. That Lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword, they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. And then I saw a second beast coming up out of the earth. It had two horns, like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beef beast on its behalf. It made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. It performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of the people. And because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they would not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast, the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a human being. That number is 666. Here we go. This is a challenging passage of Scripture in which, as, even as I read it, it's like, ugh, who is, who is equal to this, right? Uh, but when you get what John is trying to do here, I think it will make a little bit more sense. We begin with a brief um, uh, kind of rehearsal from this fantastical apocalyptic imagery that John is specializing in here. Chapter 12 begins, and I think you recognize his kind of um, 
nativity narrative, the birth of Jesus, if you will, is what is portrayed here in, in uh, chapter 12. A woman clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, crown of 12 stars, um, uh, uh, pregnant, crying out in pain, but an enormous red dragon seeking to consume the child as soon as the child is born. You hear the images both from the Old Testament, of course, and most pre predominantly in the birth of Jesus, where the Old Testament child of God birthed through the waters of the Red Sea, Israel, uh, Pharaoh tries to consume them. They are protected in the wilderness. The story of Jesus's birth uh, and, and within a short period of time after his birth, Herod seeks to kill him, causing his family to flee as refugees into Egypt where he is protected. And, and, and John is not interested here in saying much more. He wants to get us to focus on this, this dragon and his effects, which are to destroy the works of uh, the, this child that is, that is born. So he just truncates the entire life and mission of Jesus into this, into this phrase. First of all, he will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. He's echoing Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 2. And, and, and reframing this, this is a messianic psalm, so we want you to be clear about who we're speaking of here. We are speaking of Jesus, born to Mary. The woman is not Mary, although it stands in for her. I'll talk about her in just a second. But this child was snatched up to God and to his throne. That's it. That's the whole life of Jesus. He is born, he is under ruthless attack, and he is snatched up, and we saw where he is, uh, at the end of the previous chapter. But in the meantime, this woman, uh, which now becomes a, a placeholder for Israel who gives birth to Messiah, for the church who continues in the way of the Messiah, the people of the Messiah. So the woman here is not a woman, it's this conglomerate picture of those who are the people of God who uh, uh, are now under attack because the dragon, seeing that he has lost his target in the child, now turns his attentions to the woman. But the woman is uh, protected, and she is uh, takes to a place in the wilderness, prepared for by God, and again, this number, 1,260, not actual 24-hour days, but a period of time, there is a set period of time that this woman will be under attack, and this number, of course, appears regularly throughout the book. But then, war breaks out in heaven, and you see the, 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 the adversary, the accuser, up until this time, and again, remember, this is not chronological, this is John trying to help us understand what in the world is going on in these moments. So he has this, this vision, this understanding of the war in the heavenlies. Jesus talked to us about this in, in, in Luke and other places. Michael and his angels, this great warrior angel, fights against the dragon, and the angel, uh, the dragon and his angels fight back. But he's not strong enough. Please remember that. He's not strong enough, and they lose their place in the heavens. The great dragon was hurled down. Literally, the Greek means bounced out of heaven. 
And, it's just, and he uses this over and over and over again in this passage, this ancient serpent called the devil, the Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was bounced to the earth and his angels with him, thrown out, defeated. So we have not chronology, but a description now of a new reality because this leads to this celebrational moment. Now has come the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. When? Now. John wants us to know that this is the current reality in the heavens. This is the, this is the, 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 the kind of parallel universe that the kingdom of God represents. Here we are in time and place, but this is the larger reality. The accuser of the brethren has been hurled down, bounced. They were, he was triumphed over. How? Not just by Michael and his angels, but by the church our brothers and sisters, those he accuses. How did they triumph over him? By the word, by the blood of the lamb. Please notice we have no other recourse. By the word of their testimony and because they weren't afraid to die for the sake of the gospel, the martyrs. Please notice what John is saying here. He's saying to his church, many of whom are in that number, up until this present day, your death is not in vain. It is how the dragon, how the Satan, how the devil is defeated. You have followed the course set for you by the Lamb and are sharing in the victory of the Lamb. But woe to the earth. Now having been bounced out of the heavens, the sea and the earth will feel his fury. Because when he sees that he has lost when he knows that his days are numbered, when he recognizes that his uh, time is just about up, he goes after the woman and her children, after the church, and spews out words of accusation, and spews out words of condemnation, and spews out a river of toxic uh, attack against the people of God. But the earth itself opens up, swallows the river. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus are the ones who are the ones who are under attack here. But notice again, the deliverance comes from keeping God's commands and holding fast to their testimony about Jesus. So the primary means of attack in this little scenario so far has been these, these words of accusation, but now he shifts gears. And now he's using two different images, a beast from the sea and a beast from the land. The beast from the sea, uh, he uses uh, imagery that everybody reading it would recognize, oh, this is from Daniel. He is describing, for all intents and purposes, the Roman Empire. And uh, in so doing, however, we ought not limit it to the Roman Empire. This is about empire as such, not just the empire of Rome, but all of those empires that uh, deify themselves, that move out from under the lordship of Jesus Christ, that say to themselves, we have no God but Caesar. No God means at some level these 
these graphic images that would resonate with John's audience bring to mind, oh, this is the political reality in which we move and live. The image of the, one of the heads being, being slain was a, a popular myth at the time of John's writing. And, uh, but, but again, the empire under the execution of one of the Caesars, they thought, okay, it's finally over, only to see it spring back again. And this uh, persistence of the empire and its seeming invincibility leads to this conclusion, who is like the beast? Who is like empire? Who can overpower the military and political might that is arraigned against God, this self-serving, self-deifying, ungodly, unbridled, militarily supported power, who is going to be anything but crushed by that. And so the proud words and the blasphemies, blaspheming God for a period of time with the result that all of the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, except, and they're still here, those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. The people of God are not taken in by the might of politics. They are not taken in by the military deification, the self-exaltation of empire. In fact, you'll notice that the beast is only able to do so, to do any of these things because it is given power. It is given ability, and the outcome will be some will be taken into captivity, some will be killed. What's the church to do in the face of this unbridled military political machine of empire? And remember, this isn't just Rome. This is throughout history to our present day. John says, this calls for patient endurance, calls for faithfulness on the part of God's people. Faithfulness here is this idea of holiness, staying true to what we know to be true, even if we die as a result of it. And again, John is not promising rescue. He's promising presence and an outcome that is worth the martyrdom. But then the scene shifts. A second beast rises from the earth now, and his role, its role, mimicking the lamb, two horns like a lamb, but speaking like a dragon, exercising the authority of the first beast, recognizing and, and, and using the, the, the power that, that, that it has to funnel attention, funnel worship towards the first beast, uh, using miraculous signs to deceive people so that they will believe that there's some kind of supernatural empowerment to this beast. He sets up an image and, 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 and through trickery is able to make the image appear to move so that, so that people recognize this, this supernatural validation. They are tricked by what appear to be supernatural phenomenon. This is hard for us, but what he's saying here and what we see lived out in the Roman Empire to which John was writing, the world to which John was writing, and we see it throughout now, it's very often, and what he's seeing here is religion 
and religious authorities that hitch their wagon to the power of empire and use their supernatural, their spiritual, their religious authority to shore up the might of empire for their own gain, financially, politically, power, whatever it is, they have, they have joined in and become part of, they enliven the life of empire for people who are duped by miracles, who are taken in by supernatural phenomenon. We probably should remember the things we've talked about over the years at the garden, that, that miracles uh, are not always proof of God's working. Sometimes what appear to be miracles are in fact deceptive. Please notice what is happening here is this unholy trinity is mimicking the Father, the Son, the Spirit. Now we have the dragon and beast number one from the sea and beast number two from the land and this unholy trinity mimicking in many, many ways the power and the ways but not the heart, not the spirit, not the self-sacrifice of the Lamb. And this is the world that John's audience lives in. And friends, this is the world that we live in. We see that the primary influence of this dragon who seeks to kill and destroy and damage and tear apart and, and, and smash the earth is exercised through the power of empire, political, military machinery, that is propped up by spiritual authorities, by supernatural religious authorities. When religion gets into bed with empire, nothing good is going to come out of that union. And John invites us in this chapter to watch and witness the end of the power of politics. The end of politics as the way of getting things done in this world. Because what happens when you co-opt the power of empire and substitute that for the sacrifice of the lamb, you get the power of empire and you don't get the outcome that the sacrifice of the lamb produces, which is life. John is signaling, church, don't get into bed with empire, church. Guard yourself, don't pay attention to the miraculous signs, to the religious leaders, to the spiritual authorities. They will co-opt you. And in fact, this is what was happening. You see this image, you have to get a mark in your right hand, your forehead, uh, the, the trade guilds supported by the religious institutions at the time said, if you don't have this, if you aren't part of us, if you aren't worshiping the Caesar, if you aren't supporting the empire, you can't buy and sell. You can't be a tradesperson in our marketplace. Uh, and people were seeing their livelihoods destroyed and the temptation was to compromise. The temptation was to say, it's not that big a deal. And the issue is not a literal mark a literal tattoo or an inserted uh, microchip. That's not what he's saying here. Notice where they are. The head and the hand, the thoughts, the attitudes, the dispositions, and the behaviors are the marks of the beast, the marks of compromise, the marks that enable you to participate freely in the marketplace 
we're spending way too much time, I think, worrying about whether it's microchips or tattoos and not nearly enough time thinking about what are we putting in our minds, what is the attitude and action of our hands and hearts and lives, where, where is our allegiance? Because he says, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight pay attention to this. The number of the beast, human. This isn't supernatural. This isn't, this isn't from, from the heavens. This isn't even really spiritual. It's the number of a man. And the number is 666. And we have spent 2,000 years trying to figure out what in the world that number means. John's audience knew. This is narrow. Narrow Caesar. This is the one who we recognize claims deity, who we recognize as, and, and again, it's not just Caesar. It's a human being who has claimed for himself divine authority, who is propped up by spiritual authorities who have gotten into bed with empire. And John just wants you to know, guys, nothing but a man. Following that protocol, that strategy, that compromise will not end anywhere good. So Christians at the time and to this present age, remember, from John's perspective, this is not something yet to come in the future. This is the current reality, both for his church and ours. It's, not, it's pointless to try and figure out who that number applies to now. That's not the point. The point is it's a human being who invites us into strategies of power that are not about the way of the Lamb and will not end well. We are witnessing here in this chapter the end of politics propped up by spirituality and religion. Because in the very next chapter, chapter 14, we flip back into a scene of celebration and the victory that we long for at the tail end of this chapter being celebrated. We'll come back to that a little bit later on. So here's the response. Here's the challenge. And you know what it is. Friends, in these days, these troubled days in which we live, it is important that the church be the church, that the church recognizes that our source of power and authority comes from our allegiance to Jesus and that we follow him, whether it works or not, whether we are safe or not, whether we prosper or not, that's not the indicator. In fact, sometimes we can be deceived by supernatural signs that promise it just enough so that we compromise with empire. And John invites us, word of testimony, blood of the lamb, and not thinking that we need to cling to our lives to the place of protecting them. For our lives are hidden with God in Christ. We have names written in the Lamb's book of life. We are among those who glorify God through the sacrifice of the Lamb. It's not an easy moment. It requires a lot of discernment, doesn't it? Because compromise comes in tiny little forms and bigger forms. But we're invited to discern and then decide. Let's pray. 
Oh, Lord, as we look at this uh, challenging passage, and Lord, I don't know if I got it right or not, but it sure seems to fit what John is up to, and it seems to fit what um, you have spoken to my own heart uh, about the time and stages that we're living in. And so I pray for my friends. Oh, Lord, I pray for myself that you would help us, especially when it's hard, especially when compromise just seems such an easy way to avoid trouble, and especially when we see our, our families maybe even suffering because of our allegiance to Jesus. I pray that we won't take the attitudes and dispositions nor the behaviors that mark us as folks who are following after this false power of empire, but instead, Lord, that we would follow the way of the Lamb and share in his victory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, friends. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.